Welcome to Demolition Now, the National Demolition Association's official podcast. I'm your host, Executive Director Jeff Lambert. In this episode, we're going to be interviewing Carson Pollock. He is the VP of Operations for Alpine Demolition, based out of Chicago. He is also the committee chair for our Convention and Expo Committee. This year, we're going to be heading to Phoenix, Arizona, February 22nd through the 25th. If you haven't done so, please register now on the website. It's going to be amazing. We also interview in this episode Alex Berg with Kratos Equipment and Ed Vernier with Alloy Group, both of whom discuss how they got involved in the demolition industry and the resources and things they've learned attending National Demolition Association events and what their membership means to them. Finally, we end with... Alex McIntyre, our Director of Government Affairs, as he discusses the recent election and what that means for the demolition industry. Stay tuned. Welcome back, listeners. As many of you know, we're going to be going to sunny Phoenix next year for our annual convention and expo. As many of you know, not only do we have the live demolition events, which is on the front ends of the conference, which features um, last year close to 40 um, different pieces of equipment and machines, shears, uh, you name it, smaller pieces of equipment, but also our indoor exhibit hall. We have um, close to 80 exhibitors in the past, and we hope to um, have a record-breaking attendance again next year. We will have, of course, our networking events. So I am here with um, Natalie DeHart. She's our membership and operations director at the National Demolition Association. She is also the staff liaison for the convention committee. And I have Karsten Pollock, who is the vice president of operations at Alpine Demolition. He is the convention and expo committee chair this year. And so I'm going to just ask you guys a few questions. So both of you, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. Well, thanks for taking the time with us. Um, Convention Expo really is just the highlight of our year. We have many different things there from the awards ceremony, which always happens on the last night. Um, You know, we announce our scholarship winners. We announce our winners of um, the Mike Casbon Safety Award, the Excellence in Demolition Award. We do the Lifetime Achievement Award. So a lot of really cool stuff in addition to our networking events. But um, Natalie, I'll start with you. And then Carson, if you can kind of chime in here, but you know, why should um, someone attend the annual convention and expo? Sure. I mean, I think the biggest benefit to attendance is uh, networking with peers. We have built in a lot of time for that. So whether you're on the show floor or you go to our many networking events that we have, um, it's really the time to connect and learn from your peers. Also, our live demolition event is really an opportunity to see and test the latest technology and learn what others are doing in the industry. Yeah, Carson, from your perspective. You know, all demolition contractors, we're all very busy people. And we can get very entrenched in our day-to-day operations and just dealing with the things we deal with every day. Um, you know, people issues, safety issues, customer issues. And by going by a convention, it really, really gets you away from that for a few days, a week, and opens up your eyes, and it really refreshes you and, and gives you a new 
perspective on, on what you're doing and how you're doing it. And, you know, sharing your experiences with your peers. And, you know, you realize that we're all in the same boat. You know, sometimes you think you're all by yourself, but by going to the expo and convention, you get to, you know, share your experiences and hear other experiences. And then, and you come back refreshed. And I always get great ideas from going to the convention and, and get ideas about new machines and new equipment and, and stay ahead of things. So speaking of new equipment, new machines, um, can you tell us a little bit about what we have planned for the live demolition event? Yeah, live demolition event. Um, we're looking to have a great event. We're actually going to be on a demolition site um, with plenty of concrete and plenty of steel. Um, the site's going to be all paved um, and the pavement's going to be removed at a later date. So we don't have to worry about restoration. But we're going to have, you know, quite a few machines. Um, we're looking to get over 40 machines over there and vendors. Um, I know a lot of the uh, manufacturers are stepping up already. And it sounds like a really exciting event. Um, we're really going to really gonna try to uh, knock it out of the ballpark on this one. And Natalie, can you tell us a little bit about the location? Um, anything else that's planned for the live demolition event? Sure. So, um we will be at the Metro Center Phoenix Mall downtown. Um, there's a big demolition that's going to be going on there. Um, big shout out to Jim Middleton from BCS Enterprises, who is uh, one of our members locally there who hooked us up with this opportunity. Um, we last year was our first convention really after a tough time with COVID and we still had 40 pieces of equipment and over 600 attendees. I'm hopeful and uh, have reason to believe that we will certainly exceed that. So um, we are on track to have a great event this year. Absolutely, you know, and having visited the site and toured it, I mean, it's it's fantastic. We've got, um, as Carson said, the paved, paved location. Um, we're gonna have plenty of materials there to work with from steel to, you know, scrap materials to concrete. Um, we even have a retaining wall that we're going to be taking a look at and possibly set up some machines there. Um, you know, as you said, we had over 600 attendees last year at the live demo. Um, for those of you that haven't been to convention or maybe have been, uh, we had 967 attendees last year at the convention. So that's at the expo hall at the convention center. And then, as Natalie said, you know, over 600 at the live demolition site. So it's really going to be fun. I mean, we're going to have lunch catered there. We're going to have um, just a lot of really cool um, things going on in the exhibit hall. Um, but not, I do want to make sure I, I mention our education and training. We do our fast and furious sessions in the exhibit hall. Um, in addition to, we'll always have our much loved cornhole tournament, which, you know, is our scholarship fundraiser. Um, for those teams that are interested in competing and then, you know, just networking with folks from other companies. This gives you a very relaxed um, environment to do that in while having a little fun and raising money for charity at a good event. But so I just want to touch on the education um, a little bit, if I can. I know we have our keynote speaker selected, Natalie or Karsten. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that for our opening session? Sure. So. Carson, do you want to take it? <laughs> no, go ahead, Natalie. Start out. Okay. So Mark Schulman is our keynote speaker. He is the drummer from Pink. Um, we have our our keynote the way that the 
day sort of flows in the morning. So he's going to do a, a little drum performance along with his uh, keynote and uh, it'll get people's uh, blood pumping first thing in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think that the theme is like how to have that rock star attitude. And, you know, if there's anything I can say about our members, it's they, many of them do walk that, um, that line of having a rock star attitude, you kind of have to in demolition, right? Because you're always out there, you're making the calls, you're, you know, you're one that's out there, not only getting the business, but executing on the work. And so in many respects, you know, like being in a band, you have to coordinate everything and, and really make a presentation of it. So I hope that this really resonates with our members. Um, you know, I know we'll have a lot of um, good sessions in Fast and Furious um Carson anything else you want to add in terms of education yeah we're, we're lining up some other good events um we're gonna be talking about some dust control and um, we're trying to get somebody local to talk about that uh, we're talking about like um you know new electric machines that are coming out and some of the some of the cutting edge stuff with that um so we've got a couple of great other uh, things coming up um with the education series so make sure after live demo live demo is going to happen on Thursday Make sure Friday and then Saturday, we're going to be in the expo hall. Make sure to come by and, and visit us and, and see um, everything that we've got to offer on that side. And I should uh, mention, too, that we'll have, a for those first-time attendees and new members, we'll have, um, just before the opening um, reception, we'll have a little networking reception for those of you that are considering coming and haven't been before to kind of familiarize yourself with the convention um, you know, as Carson said, a lot of new equipment's going to be coming out. So in addition to our Fast and Furious sessions that we'll focus on, some of these innovations will be in the exhibit hall. You'll get a chance to see some of the latest from manufacturers. Um, I do want to make sure I mention um, the networking opportunities here. So, you know, our members, um, as you said, Carson, it's a chance to get away. It's a chance to refresh. Um, to take some best practices with you. But a lot of that stuff happens informally at our convention. You know, so at our receptions, um, we do have a, a beer um, tasting reception that's happening in the exhibit hall. We also have our big uh, themed party. And this year it will be at the Deuce. So Natalie, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, any of our offsite stuff, you know, like our, our big... Um, our big party, uh, what is it, Phoenix Fest? Sure. So. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Our big offsite party this year is Phoenix Fest. It's at this cool location called The Deuce, which is a very unique uh, sort of location. Um, we, it kind of has a little bit of something for everyone. It's located pretty close to downtown. Um, it should be a really good time. We're gonna be some entertainment there. Um, I think we're trying to get some dueling piano bars to come and play for us. So that'll be really fun. Um, bars in every corner. So you'll never be without a drink in your hand. Um, and it'll be a good, good time for everyone, I think. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. a very casual, laid back um, venue. Um, you know, come as you are. Um, but I think all our members will really enjoy it and feel right at home. It feels like you're, uh, you know, in your, in your uh, shop or something. So it's it's really a good venue. It's got a lot of uh, history to it. It's it's um, very cool, very cool event. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, 
the place that we're staying, which is uh, the Sheraton downtown, newly renovated right in the heart of downtown. So you are literally a block and a half, two blocks away from the convention center. You are within like two, three blocks walk from the main entertainment area down there. Lots of cool bars, lots of cool restaurants. Um, again, you know, as Karsten said, it's your chance to get away from it, refresh, um, network. You know, I can't tell you how many times that I've seen members exchange business cards um, and said member then calls me and would be like, hey, I ran into somebody from, you know, Louisiana and they live in California and I need to get a quote. I need to get um, a subcontractor. I need to be connected with this person because they're working on a similar project, um, you know, in Texas, et cetera. So it's really a chance to not only refresh, but to also gain new opportunities to win work, um, make some new connections, make some new connections with vendors. You know, the live demolition event in itself, I know that many members will bring their superintendents. You know, we do have training on the front ends, superintendent boot camp, and on-site we'll do an equipment maintenance course. So they'll bring their superintendents, their field folks. But also with the live demolition event, if you think about when you go shop for a new car, you know, and I know many of you listening have experienced this when you're shopping for new equipment. You'll take your field staff with you. You'll take your trusted um, folks in the office to go kick the tires, if you will. That sometimes takes like four or five months. If you're looking to drop, you know, a good million dollars on a nice piece of equipment, you want to be very careful and thoughtful and test that equipment out. Live demolition gives you, the live demolition event gives you the chance to do that all in one shot. So many members will bring their field folks with them and I'll see them hopping around from machine to machine. And at the end of the day, they'll make their selection because they'll have a chance to operate those shears. They'll have a chance to crush that concrete with the attachment. They'll have a chance to say that one performs the best for me on my machine. And I can see how easily and intuitive it is. So it really gives them a chance. And you think about the staff time that's involved in that when you take your staff to go visit the dealership, you know, whether dealership is 15, 20, 30 minutes away. Think about all the staff time and the hours you're paying for your staff to go do that. And you yourself as the principal or as the you know C-suite person that's bringing your people out, you're saving tons of time. You're saving tons of money. So I just can't stress that enough. And it's fun. You know, we always have great food that's there. We always have, you know, great camaraderie that's going on there. It's only 15, uh, 20 minutes from the hotel. So you can really hop over there in the morning, test your equipment out in a few hours and get back and get refreshed um, for the opening night um, reception. But that was kind of a lot. So Natalie, Karsten, anything else you want to add to that? Sure. If I could go just circle back to education real fast, um, one of the things that our attendees have asked for consistently is more detailed, longer education sessions in addition to those quick hits, fast and furious. And last year, our highest attended session was our women in demolition panel, which was something we did for the first time. And this year, we're able to do that again. And I think it's going to be um, a really great session. We also have uh, some longer in-depth sessions. One of them is, you know, what's keeping you up at night? And it's supposed to be sort of a, a chat and chance to sort of hear from other people and the issues that um, everyone else is 
just kind of seeing in their business and in the industry as well. So I would be remiss if I didn't hit one more time on education and some of the new things that we have this year. I think it's going to be really nice. And Jeff, you really hit it on the head there when you're talking about time, right? Time is the one thing we can never make more of. I mean, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. And uh, by going to the demolition convention, you can get done in three days what might take a year or two years to learn. I mean, you really get a lot of information in that short time period. Um, so it's really time well spent. It's money well spent to go there. Um, Phoenix, like you said, also super easy to get to. Um, the airport, super easy to get around. Everything is close. The weather is going to be great that time of year. It's not going to be too hot. Um, we talked to them, you know, it, it, it's a little bit cooler that time of year. So it's a great time of year. Uh, the convention hall is, is a couple of blocks from the hotel also, which, which we can drive to, but also we'll be providing, um, transportation as needed for those that, that need transportation to back and forth from the expo hall. So, um, I think it's going to be a super great event. Yeah. I'm so excited to see all the energy and excitement that's been building in your committee. Um, you know, listen, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to both of you. Natalie, if anybody has any questions for either Karsten or you, how should they get in a hold of you? Sure. You can reach out to us at info at demolitionassociation.com. You can also uh, call us at 202-367-1152 and uh, ask your questions away. We'll be happy to take them all day. Yeah. And I would encourage you to visit uh, Demolition Phoenix on the website at demolitionassociation.com. It's right there in the drop-down menu. It's on the front page. There's more information on the schedule, um, registration, the hotel, um, any questions you do have. If you're interested in exhibiting, there's information on, on how you go about doing that there on the website as well. So Natalie, Karsten, I really want to thank you. Any parting comments before we go? See you in Phoenix. <laughs> Amen. Ditto. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for your time today. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Jeff. Thank thanks you. And thanks both you and Jeff and Natalie and the rest of the uh, Smith Buckland team for everything you do to help make NDA great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Karsten. Welcome back, listeners. Great to uh, have you on board for this podcast. Um, as many of you know, we do a member spotlight in each of our podcasts. This month, we are spotlighting uh, two members of the Marketing Communications Committee, Mr. Alex Berg and Mr. Ed Vernier. Uh, Alex Berg is the founder CEO of Kratos Equipment. Um, he is also a member of the Marketing Communications Committee and has a um, personal connection, long story um, connection to the industry in addition to owning his own company. And then I have with me today, Mr. Ed Vernier, he's with Alloy Group. He is a member of the board, also a member of the Marketing Communications Committee and has a very interesting storied um, history with demolition as well as the association. So I wanted to bring them both on board. Welcome, Alex, and welcome, Ed. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank, thanks for having us, Jeff. Absolutely. So I got a, a couple of questions for you guys here, um, and it just kind of concerns your history within the demolition 
uh, industry and then the association. Um, I know one of the things I get most from listeners is we'd love to hear more about what our members are doing, how they got involved in the industry. So this is kind of an answer to that question, but um, question for both of you. When did you decide on demolition as a profession? You know, was it something you always knew? Did you have a moment or an event in your career that you can point to that solidified your decision to be a quote lifer? So yeah, I, I can I can take that. Um Jeff, you you know, and some some people in the industry know my my story, how I'm close to demo. I mean, my my grandfather was uh, I think he wrote the first check for the NADC back in the day. So uh, I guess I was kind of born into this industry. Um, I remember going to the going to the shop and to the jobs with my father and uncle as a child. Um, I remember my father pushing me away from demo and saying, go do something else. Um, and then uh, I came right back to it. I, I always enjoy uh, being around the industry, talking with people within the industry. Uh, it's just something that I've always been drawn to. Um, and I, I, I get a lot of joy out of it and out of the conversations. And what about you? I, st- I started out in the industry young. Um, I was working for a rigging company and we started doing all the equipment removal on the demo projects for one of the premier demo contractors in the country. And I just kind of worked my way and, and went to work for them and started out in the field and worked my way up through the chain. And I've worked for a couple of the upper echelon demolition contractors in the country over my 30 year career. And once I started doing it, I just fell in love with it. And that's all I've ever done. You know, as somebody who's an outsider, um, and I do have, I worked with um, a couple of other construction industry trade associations, but as somebody who's an outsider coming into demolition, I mean, the people are so um, welcoming. It's almost a family type atmosphere, certainly here at the association. But I mean, even on the job sites I've been to, you know, there's, there's certain camaraderie there. Even when I've gone over to Europe and and met with some of the demolition contractors over there, it's a it's different, and I can't quite put my finger on it. But I mean, there's definitely like we're all in this together type mentality, which is which really strikes me, um, and is actually you know from an outsider's perspective, I'm like, man, you know, maybe maybe I chose <laughs> um, my career. I could I could have been a demolition professional professional, you know. Um, so I'm happy to be supporting the industry and what you guys do day in and day out. I mean, from my perspective, there are so many interesting individuals, demolition, like explosive professionals, et cetera, that um, it's just fascinating to see the different facets of it. But, you know, as I'm asking you guys these questions, is there is there any one person in your career that you can point to that changed your career path? you know, and influenced you, not just in demolition, but, you know, being an advocate for the industry, participating in the association. Is there any one person or couple of people that you can point to? 
I think I I think the the easy answer is my father, right? I mean, that's that's ultimately why I'm why I got into the industry. But I think you know, as my experience with the industry has grown and changed over the last couple of years, going from going from working for his his demo company and then starting my own business that that supplies equipment for demo contractors. Um, I think what changed was really as I as I started to be an entrepreneur working with uh, some mentors and some coaches and kind of seeing how people gave back to me as I was trying to grow my business. Uh, I think one of the things in the industry is there's a lot of guys that are getting into demo and realizing that that this is something that that they can find a, a real career path and starting from the bottom. It's interesting, kind of like what Ed said, you know, starting from the bottom and just working your way up. Um, there's a lot of guys that are out there that are doing that, that, that are really trying to make their way and learning from experience and, um, you know, giving back that experience, I think is really important and, you know, making sure people stay safe on the job sites and, and make their way home every day. Um, I think that's, that's really fantastic. And I think that's what, what the NDA does really well is share that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I see it at all of our meetings. I see it in sidebar meetings that are going on at our convention or at our board meetings. You know, Ed, from your perspective, you know, is there any one person you can point to um, or group of people that influenced you? Oh, over my career, I've had a lot of influential people, too many to mention that helped me along in my career and they basically taught me some of the tricks of the trade and some have taught me what to do and actually what not to do. Um, I've learned on both sides of the fence there. Um, I guess the biggest influence I've had um, to get me to advocate for the industry and become a member of the NDA was Jim Graham. I've known Jim for a long time and conversations with him and he introduced me and I've it's an awesome association. I'm proud to be a member. I'm proud to be on the board. And Yeah, yeah you know, I, I mean, speaking with, with Jim Graham, you know, he's certainly like has an elder statesman quality to, to him. But, you know, it's not it's not just him. There's you know, as I look around the boardroom or even at our meetings and I'm, I'm seeing these sidebar conversations that are happening, you know, over like robotics or something it's it's kind of funny like at our convention this last year i i i wandered up to a table and there was a serious conversation going on about no you don't want to do that like when you're when you're out there purchasing robotics you want to you know you want to consider these four factors or whatever it is right and so i mean and i was thinking as i walked into this conversation that probably is saving this guy um and it was a board member talking to him, this guy, like at least like two months of like, you know, research. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing we see every day at our meetings, like when we're all together and then even sidebar conversations from the relationships that are formed here is, you know, it's just, Hey, what do you think about this? And then it's like, well, I've done that three or four times and, and here's what I found. Um, you know, and it could be something as simple as like managing your crews, right? What you think is simple, right? So getting your crews together every morning and going over, you know, your daily debrief for your safety talk for the day. Um, and it could be something as simple as, you know, 
hey folks, we're going to meet back here in two hours and, and go over and make adjustments. Like, and I, I remember wandering into a conversation about like how to manage your crews. And the, the person that was saying that we always get back together in a couple of hours and then make adjustments to the plan. The guy was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had to like spend walking around the job site and then making adjustments here if I can just bring everybody back together. And that, that like that sort of information is really um, what we're all about and what we capture in our documents, what we capture at our meetings. And so that's great to hear, Ed. And, and you know, I, I would just say, you know, from an outsider's perspective, again, like the relationships that are formed that I see at these meetings, um, you know, it's business card swaps, but it always comes to fruition like two, three, four, five months down the road when somebody's looking to connect with somebody in Louisiana, they're from California. And oh my gosh, I ran into uh, this guy at, at NDA's convention and I'll just give him a call. And so it's great to see those connections happening. It's great to see that mentorship happening there with like Jim Graham and, and some of our other board members. Um, so just speaking about NDA, like what, do, what does NDA mean to, to the two of you? And Ed, I'll, I'll go with you first since you kind of alluded to it. Um, the NDA to me is an association of our peers. It just, it broadens our network across the country where we know each other's challenges and whether you're on the East Coast, the West Coast, the South, or the Northeast, we all face the same challenges day in and day out. And we learn from each other. And the advocacy, uh, ad, I'm sorry, advocacy for our industry and the training and safety and educational aspects, it's, it's just, uh, a phenomenal organization and every year we expand and improve for for our association and our members alex what about you i mean coming in as a, a supplier but also somebody that knows you know the back end of the industry quite well um yeah for 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 me for me being an associate member it it certainly is is different um but you know somebody told me somebody told me a long time ago they said your your network is your net worth um which which I always thought was interesting and and this for us being being as though our our equipment we we really focus on on the demolition industry um being close to 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 these members and and you know what what are their challenges what's what's the equipment that we can have that can that can solve those challenges um it's really been a benefit for for our business as an associate member just staying close and and connecting with members and saying hey you know what what are the struggles that you're really that are really going on now and is there a way for for us uh to to build something that can alleviate that and really kind of understanding what's going on day to day you know, it's kind of funny. One of the things we get the most calls about is our membership directory. So, you know, it could be city, local governments that are looking for somebody um, and they'll they'll ping us, you know, a question about our membership directory or where do I find, you know, a contractor in my area. Um, but it's also members that, 
you know, will ping us and be like, hey, I was noticing in the membership directory, um, you know, so-and-so company, who at that company should I contact? And then, of course, we're like, well, there's there's a members-only directory that has contact information in there and, you know, walking them through how to, how to get there. But um, it's always, there are always questions on how do I connect or who do I connect with? Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we are a giant network across the country, you know, Canada, North America, but we also have, of course, international members too. And it's funny, we have a couple dozen of those, but they're always pinging us, you know, because obviously they have an interest here in the North American market, but they're always pinging us like, who's the safety professional at this company? You know, because they're obviously looking at that market. So, um, it just sort of reinforces the value of what you were saying. You know, your your network is your net worth. And I mean, certainly the most questions we get are, who do I connect with at X company? So it, it's just, that's great to hear. You know, final question for, for the two of you is, you know, um, what, and you guys have answered this. So, but, you know, why should anyone join the association? You know, what is the association done for, you, Ed, and you, Alex, you know, um, why should anybody join? Um, I, I'll, I, I'll go with this one. Um, I'll leave the best for last because I know Ed will give, give a better answer than me. Um, I, I think I think people should join because of, of the camaraderie and, and the learning. Um, I think that's that's probably the most important part of, of any association, right? Um it costs money to join, obviously, just like any other association does, but you you can cert there's value there. If you put the time in, you can get a lot out of it. Um, so I mean, for me, you know, I've been a been a, a member of the NDA for since I started my the company nine years ago, um, but was never really involved and got involved a year and a half ago. And my relationship with the NDA has completely changed in the last year and a half. And uh I haven't really even put that much time in it, right? I could certainly put more and, and get more out of the association, but it, it's been uh, an astronomical amount of value. The, the, the connections I've made, the, the lessons I've learned, um, conversations I've had uh, have, have done great things for, for me as a person and, and for our business and for, for even for our employees. It's been, it's been really good. Ed? The education and the safety components are very important to our company. Um, we take full advantage of the safety app. A lot of our superintendents use it. Um, the advocacy and public relations, we know month to month, we keep the finger on the pulse of what's going on uh, in the, on the political in D.C., which is awesome. We know what's coming. Our coordination and work with OSHA is paramount in our industry because safety is number one goal every day. Um, the networking, the friendships, the camaraderie, it's just a phenomenal organization that we have. Yeah, you know, I mean, I see the stuff on the back end from our website and the downloads. You mentioned the safety stuff. So, I mean, we have over a thousand people that are using our safety app, you know, people are downloading our safety manual or guidance documents on a daily basis. Um, you know, and I mean, as I look at, 
you know, our member discount programs that we offer, savings on equipment purchases. We have a, we're part of a co-op there that can save thousands of dollars. And then, you know, our membership discount program, which fuel alone, I have some, some members will use the discounts. They, they charge like, or they, on an annual basis, they spend about $500,000 a year on fuel, but they get a 20 or $30,000 discount just by going through our member discounts, which more than pays for membership. And I mean, on top of that, just knowing the the amount of calls that we get um, from people that are looking for demo contractors or members that are looking to connect with somebody. Um, so, you know, just our member directory, like, and those are, those are the benefits without being in person. And Alex, you know, and Ed, you both have alluded to the in-person component, the network, the camaraderie, like you, I think you could safely say your membership will pay for it just without attending meeting, right? Because you get your discounts, you get all this different stuff. But really the true value is is in attending our meetings and meeting up and, and you know, it's that face-to-face, -face uh, you know, camaraderie and exchange of information that's, that's so invaluable. Um, so for any of our listeners out there that are maybe just first-time members, um, explore member benefits on the websites. Uh, under membership, there's discount programs, HR discount programs, equipment discount programs, et cetera. Explore our store, our safety material, our safety app. Come and take one of our trainings in the Foundations of Demolition. We are going to be launching certification next year, so get your, you know, get your crew certified um, in our training program. I mean, there's so many good things on the horizon. And gentlemen, um, I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to chat with us. But if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to info at demolitionassociation.com. Um, gentlemen, if folks have any questions for either of you, how do they get in contact with you, Alex? Uh, for me, my, my email is best. Uh, it's just alex at kratos.com. Um, kratos is C-R-A-T-O-S. So pretty simple. Ed? The same for me. Uh, email is the best. It's uh, evernier at alloygroup.com. And it's listed in our directory as well. And I just want to say thank you, Jeff, for taking the time to do this. And I'm very happy to be a part of this. Yeah, like, likewise. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you both. We'll see you at our next meeting. On this episode of the podcast, I want to go through a analysis of the 2023 uh, midterm election and kind of what it uh, says about 2023 in Congress. Uh, to start off, I'll, I'll kind of go through what we learned from the midterm election and the takeaways from it. Um, the 2002 election was the, one of the most evenly contested and expensive midterms in history. Um, both House, Senate, and the governors um, are about evenly split um, between the Democrats and re Republicans. There was over $16 billion spent by candidates and groups on, on both sides. Uh, this is the most spent ever in a midterm election in history. Um, so it's pretty unusual there. Um, just starting off, uh, with the Democrat side, uh, they were able to beat historical 
expectations and retain the Senate with a 50-seat majority, which could go up to 51 seats. And then Republicans are on track to retake the House, but at a smaller margin than expected with a 7-10 to 10 seat gain. Um, when you look back historically, uh, this was a pretty unusual midterm election in that normally the president's party loses a lot of seats. Um, since 1934, the president's party has averaged a loss of 20 House seats and four Senate seats. Um, so the, the fact that the Democrats were able to retain their majority in the Senate and then also keep the losses to seven to 10 seats um, was pretty unusual. Um, and I would say that they would be pretty happy with that while Republicans are probably disappointed that they were not able to make more gains in both chambers. Um, kind of a theme for, for this midterm election is there's a very status quo election. So so as of now, only one incumbent governor or senator so far has lost uh, his or her bid for, for re-election, um, which is um, pretty incredible when you consider that over that over 70% of voters in exit polls said that they were unhappy with the direction of the country, um, and yet um, voters in in all the states voted for the same politicians that that were were in office. Um, so I think another thing too is kind of a depolarization between the Repu Republican states and the the, the Democratic states. Um, if you were in a Republican state, um, you stayed re Republican. If you were in a Democratic state, you stayed d Democratic. Um, so again, everything has came out very even and split in terms of the power um, across Congress and the states. Um, if you look at what the top issues were, according to voters in the exit polls, um, inflation was the top issue um, at 31%. Abortion was second at 27%. And then crime and gun policy um, were tied for third at 11%. Um, I think one thing that we can kind of take away from this is that there's going to be a gridlock in Congress in 2023 and 2024 with the Democrats holding the Senate and Republicans projected to take the House. Um, as we kind of go here into a breakdown of the Senate, um, as I said before, the Democrats were able to retain a majority of 50 to 49 uh, seats. The one race outstanding is the Georgia Senate runoff election. Um, that's going to be happening on December 6th between incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock, who's a, a Democrat, and then Herschel Walker on the Republican side. And so that race will decide the final balance of power in, in the Senate. Um, if the Democrats win that race, they'll actually gain a seat from this year and have a 51 to 49 Senate majority. If the Democrat, if the Republicans win, win that race, they'll be able to bring it back to a 50, 50 tie. Um, and so if we look across the map, is a pretty status quo election. 
the, the Democrats were able to hold all of their existing Senate seats and then flip the open Pennsylvania seat from the Republicans. Um, on the Republican side, the only seat that they could potentially gain back is the Georgia seat. Um, so it'll either be 51 to 49 or 50 50. Um, while the Georgia race will not decide the control of the chamber, um, it will determine whether Vice President Harris has to break ties. Um, if it's a 50 50 split in the Senate, the VP always breaks the ties. So since the, the, uh, the Democrats control the White House, they'll be able to break ties there. Um, if the Democrats win the race, they won't have, have to worry about that and they'll have a cushion to pass bills. As we go on to the House, there's still, um, as of this recording, a lot to be decided. Um, currently, there's been 212 races called for Republicans and then 203 uh, seats called for the Democrats. Um, currently, there's about 20 uncalled seats. Um, most of those seats are in the Western states, um, California, Arizona, Oregon, Colorado. Um, they're still counting votes as of, as of now. Um, according to all the major projections, re Republicans are expected to take back the House um, once all the votes are counted. Um, it's going to be closer than than they expected. Um, they're going to be they're going to get around 220 seats. Um, they're currently currently favored in, and then the Democrats are currently favored in 213 seats with two seats as toss ups. So we we can expect the Republican House majority to be about 220 to 215 or 219 to 216. So they'll have very little room for um, to um, pass bills there. So only a three or four or five seat majority in the House. Um, if we look across the the map at trends, the Democrats did better than expected and won toss up seats in the Great Lakes and the Rust Belt regions across the country, states like Pennsylvania, Illinois. Michigan, um, those states, the Democrats, you know, either held their own um, incumbent seats or were able to flip seats from re Republicans. Then on the Republican side, uh, they were able to gain seats in Florida, New York, and then on the P Pacific Coast. So they they're holding their own in in, in California and. Oregon, um, those were for for both sides. Those were were results that were not expected coming in into the into the midterm. Um, so pretty interesting results there. If we go to the governor's race, um, things again were pretty um, even between the two parties. The Democrats flipped seats in. Maryland and Massachusetts, while Republicans flipped a seat in Nevada. Um, and then there's still two governor seats that have not been called. 
those are the Arizona seat and Alaska seat. Um, and so currently Republicans control 25 seats. The Democrats control 23. When all things are said and done, it'll probably be 26 Republicans and then 24 seats for Democrats in the governor's houses. Um, and then as we move to what happens now after the the midterms as we go into 2023 and 2024, um, I, I, I think the big theme will be gridlock between the Democratic Senate and Republican House. Republicans are going to be able to block President Biden's agenda now that they control the House. This was something that they could not do the previous two, two years because the Democrats controlled um, both chambers of Congress. Um, one thing we will not see, see anymore is one-sided party line bills. Um, since Republicans do control the House floor now and they decide what bills come up for a vote. So this is going to block a lot of the Democratic priorities, things like taxes, labor legislation, paid leave mandates, and other priorities that they had. So this is going to be a pretty big change um, because before this, they were able to ram through um, certain bills through the reconciliation process. Um, there's two or three bills that they were able to pass because of that, but now that Rep Republicans control the House, they will not be able to do that. Uh, because of the um, divided control of Congress, there's going to need to be bipartisan uh, cooperation to pass important bills, such as appropriations funding to fund the government, uh, debt ceiling bills, uh, defense bills, hi uh, the highway bill, things of, of that n nature. Um, and so they're going to have to work together with President Biden to pass any big bills. Um, Looking at what to expect in each chamber of Congress, um, in the Senate, um, we can expect the Democrats to focus on confirming judicial nominations. And so they can do this with just a simple majority of the vote. So they will not need any Republican support to confirm judges. Um, so we expect them to do that um, for the better part of the next two years here. Republicans in the House, um, they're going to be walking a tight rope to pass their priorities because they're only going to have, again, a three to five seat majority in the House. And so we can expect bills that are maybe not as expansive as Republicans would have hoped or as bold as they would have hoped just because they're going to need to get every vote in their caucus um, to pass bills. So we might not see the, some of the more amb ambitious um, priorities that Republicans had been talking about before the, the midterms. Um, and then things that could happen um, that could change the dynamics in Congress. Currently, there are going to be 23 Democratic senators up for re-election re in 2024, but only 10 Republicans are up. And so I think the Democrats in the Senate are going to be careful um, because they're going to have so many 
seats exposed in 2024, that they're gonna wanna not put those seats um, you know, in play and try to keep those protected um, so they can keep their majority. So I don't think you'll see um, you know, as much controversial bills that come up in the Senate, um, just because again, they're going to be, they're going to have um, lots of incumbents that are going to be up for, for re-election. And so I think you'll see the Democrats be more cautious there. And then things that could also change Congress currently is um, open seats that come open because of people resigning to go to other jobs or resigning because of scandals or people, if there's any untimely deaths, um, that could change actually, I mean, depending on how close the house is, that could actually change the balance of power in both chambers. You know, so if someone resigns from Congress, that seat is suddenly open and that helps the other party. And um, so that could, depending on how close it is, that could actually change, um, you know, throughout the year. So that'll be pretty interesting to see. Then also the economy, you know, there's been forecasts of tough economic conditions to come here over the next year or so. Um, so depending on how the economy plays out, the priorities for both parties could change. They could come together, um, to, you know, depending on you know, if there's tougher times than expected. And you know, we've seen Congress come together in the past to pass things like emergency spending bills, stimulus, those kind of things. So um, that's kind of what to expect um, for Congress for next year. Um, and in, term, in terms of pri priorities for us um, in 2023 and, and the end of this year, Congress is not going to have a lot to do the next two months. Um, they're going to be trying to pass the FY 2023 appropriations bill to fund the government. The government runs out of spending in the middle of December. So they're going to have to try to pass a bill. We're going to be involved in that. And we have been throughout the fall, um, getting trying to get our priorities into that bill. And so we're going to continue to do that here into the fall. Then going forward to Congress, um, next January, um, just due to the divided nature of the government, you know, we're going to be trying to secure bipartisan wins on behalf of the industry. We're going to be looking at issues such as work, workforce development. Um, that has been a big priority for both sides. And we saw tons of bills introduced the last two years on that. And so I think that's an area where we can get both sides to come together and help our industry. And then also things like infrastructure, disaster recovery, small business relief, supply chain issues. And then we're also going to try to lay the groundwork um, for getting provisions of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, get those you know kind of laid down in the minds of on both the House and the Senate, because th those provisions from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, a lot of them expire in 2025. And so we want to, you know, start to get Congress on our side and, and start to get them thinking about extending those provisions. And then on the, the regulatory side, 
for this fall, we have been tracking the joint employer proposed rule and then the independent contractor proposed rule. Uh, these were both published in the fall and would have a potential impact on the dem demolition industry. And so we're gonna be submitting comments on those um, in December. And then one rule we're tracking to is the overtime rule. Um, there's talks of the White House trying to raise the salary threshold for um, for overtime pay, which would impact our industry. And so we're tracking that rule and we will definitely provide comments whenever that rule is published. Um, and then just if you if we look over the past year or so, you know, we've we've had we've had some big victories on behalf of the industry. Um, we were able to get the infrastructure bill passed and that could a lot of our priorities were in that. Um, we got OSHA to withdraw the COVID-19 vaccine and testing mandate. We met with the White House on that and OSHA, and they have not released since the rule was withdrawn. They haven't tried to, to uh, publish it again, so that's been good. Um, we were able to get demolition priorities in the appropriations bill uh, for this past year, so that was good. And then we successfully lobbied Congress to remove onerous tax increases on um, demolition contractors in the Inflation Re Reduction Act, which passed in the summer. Um, so we were happy about those. Those are just a few of the highlights from the past year. And then two, we continue to represent the industry um, in terms of dealing with the regulators. So all, all, already this year, we've um, submitted comments on the DOL injury and illness recording rule the Davis-Bacon update, and then occupational exposure to lead from OSHA. So we've weighed in on all of those issues. And so, yeah, that's the latest update. And thank you for, for, for listening. Mm -hmm.